and welcome to the Orange Mailbox. I'm your host, Logan, with my brother and co-host, Lamar. Present. And we are hunkered down in an undisclosed location in the studio today and trying to bring all you social distancers and fellow quarantiners uh, some quality interviews and inspirational postcards and stuff to keep you occupied during this interesting time. So we have a special guest today, and uh, she is originally from Fairmount, Indiana. Home of James Dean, by the way. Yes, and along with her husband, who is originally from Rockford, Illinois. And uh, Now, this is a really special interview for us today. They're all fun, but this is a special one for us today, not only because of her connection and their connection to the county, but because their connection to us. So we're excited to have my oldest daughter, Cassie, on with us today, along with her husband, my son-in-law, Garrett, and the parents of my beautiful grandbabies. And they are joining us today all the way from Ukraine. Nice to have you on today, guys. Good to see you. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us. Nice. So we're just going to get on into this and um, hopefully we can learn a little bit about you, or the people will. We already know, but once you start off with give us a little bit of background, I know you, like I said, you're from Fairmount and from Hi. Illinois, and whoever wants to go first, this is uh, this is our first video interview, so this is kind of unique for us too. So just kind of give us a short little background to give people a feel where you're yep. from, that type thing. Sure. Yeah. So I went to a few different schools in Marion before we landed in Fairmount, where I went through elementary school, junior high, and my freshman year of high school. And then we moved to North Carolina. But we got to come back in 2014, and Garrett and I actually got married in Grant County. So not only was I born there, but we got to be married there, and it always is a special place for us. Not from Rockford, Illinois the great state of debt and taxes, but uh, <laughs> what to say about Rockford? If you've never been, save yourself the trip. Oh, That's the longest drive ever to Rockford. <laughs> Not as long as the drive uh, is to Ukraine. Well, true. Yeah, I grew up in Rockford. Um, it was in 2013 when I Went to Montana to work with an organization, Youth with a Mission, and that's where I met Cassie. And it was love at second sight. Maybe not the first, but certainly the second. Yeah, during and, that one, uh, didn't you, brother? Oh, for anyone who knows Cassie, yes. Yes, I did. <laughs> <laughs> so you guys met in 2013, and um, you got married in what year? 2014. 2014. Thank you for asking her that question. <laughs> it, yeah, I saved you, brother. You can pay me later. <laughs> yeah, I will. And you got two babies, and they two. are? Levi Leland is two and a half years old, and Nora Elaine is 10 months old, and both were born in Boston, Massachusetts. I miss him, babies. So you guys, well, we're going to a little bit more background. You've you have some hobbies, I assume. Garrett is a studied disc golfer, mm-hmm. and he's average. Well, depends on who you ask. If you talk to my son, Levi, I'm a pro. Oh, okay. If you talk to an actual <laughs> pro, yeah, I'm probably below average. 
And if you talk to Nora, you'll just get a blank stare. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and one thing that Garrett has learned, he has learned that uh, and discovered who Bill Gaither is with this Fairmount connection, which is a good thing. And uh, he also learned that James Dean and Jimmy Dean are two different people. Yes, one Wait. was in the movies, and one made sausage. <laughs> I thought we had landed on it was the same person. Well, no, they're they're different. All right, we're going to have to iron that out. <laughs> we went over that before the interview, man. Okay, so you guys met out in uh, YWAM in 2013. Uh, Cassie, you had been out there how long prior to him coming out there? I had been in Montana for two and a half years before I met Garrett. You just loaded up your little car, everything you had, and oh, drove sure out did. there on your own. From Madisonville, Kentucky, sold everything I owned that didn't fit in my 2004 Chevy Aveo and drove across the country to northwest Montana on Flathead Lake. Nice, beautiful out there. I never did get to go out there, and it just, but anyways. What were your guys' duties out there? What did you so when Garrett and I met, I was staffing a program called uh, Discipleship Training School, which here on out will be called a DTS, uh, but it is the entry-level training program to YWAM. I had been staffing for a year and a half um, by the time he came, but I did my DTS in fall 2011, went to India for two months, and then when I came back, I never left. I stayed on staff and continued to lead short-term teams overseas and discipleship groups in Montana. So explain to people listening what YWAM is. Some of them have probably heard of it. Sure. Some of them are familiar with it, like myself, but a lot of people don't know what YWAM is and what they do. Yeah, understandable. I didn't know what YWAM was either, so I heard about it, and I was like, how did I not know about this? So YWAM is a missionary training ministry that focuses, especially with the age group 18 to 25 year olds, in training them to do missions both domestic and overseas internationally. The entry level program that I talked about at DTS, and then from there, there are secondary programs and then third tier programs because YWAM also has a university called University of the Nations. So you can actually earn associate's degrees, bachelor's degrees, and master's degrees through their university. That's a, uh, that's a reformed Air Force base out there, isn't it? In Montana, yeah. So the interesting thing about YWAM also is that it's decentralized, and so we don't share leadership. Each YWAM base has its own leadership team. The only thing that connects us is 18 core values. So that's how there is consistency. How many uh, people do you think YWAM trains a year? Ooh, internationally? Yeah. In the thousands easily. Really? Oh, yeah. We have 20,000 plus full-time volunteers in 180 countries. That's huge. I didn't realize it was that big. Because it's decentralized, though, you'll have some people that have had great experience with it and some people who have not. So sometimes it just depends on who you talk to. But... uh, If you've had a poor experience, talk to somebody who's had a good experience. It's ministry, right? So it's people and people messy and broken people. And so it's how you choose to view it, I guess. Yeah, you're going to run into situations if you work with people. Yeah. What were your duties out there, Garrett? So I primarily worked with the School of Biblical Studies. 
It was a nine-month program where you inductively uh, walk through each book of the Bible. So by the end of this nine-month period, uh, you've essentially written your own commentary uh, on the entire Bible. And so the point is to get people in God's Word to see what it says, because uh, I think there's, there's a statistic that less than 10% believers have actually read their entire Bible in the West. And so, hey, if this is what we believe, we believe this is God's inspired word, then it's probably important to read it. You had some background well, the with the ministry the with your parents and stuff, didn't you? Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, my dad is an international youth specialist, is his title, but he just travels around and speaks professionally. And if a lot of you haven't heard of him, his name is Greg Speck. I believe he has two or three books he's even written, right? Five or six. Oh, five oh, wow. or six. Yeah, speaking of his books, uh, one of them being Sex, It's Worth Waiting For, which as a kid, I misread it as sex. It isn't worth waiting for. <laughs> <laughs> Cassie, you mentioned India, and you were there for two months. Yes. I know you've been to several countries, but tell us a little bit about your time in India. Sure. So when I went to India, I went as a student. All my other trips after that was I was leading the team. But in India as a student, I was 25. We were a team of 13, and we had two 16-year-old girls on that team because you can do a DTS as soon as you graduate high school. So oh, we had wow. two, two young homeschool girls. Um, so India was wild. It's exactly what you think it would be, and then even more different. Um it was interesting. We traveled a lot. So we flew into Mumbai. And the interesting thing about Mumbai is um, like you see multiple centuries on one road. And what I mean by that is uh, you have four lanes of traffic. You see the newest Mercedes Benz, like mm -hmm. pristine condition. And by the time you get to the fourth lane, there is a mule drawn cart like with the agriculture workers bringing like food to sell on the street. So it was, I think for me up to that point, I hadn't seen such socioeconomic diversity in one place. Like to see that in the States, like sure you might see in Atlanta, New York, Chicago, but not to that degree. So I remember that just being shocking as well as, you know, the amount of people coming from Grand County, like it's an ag center, right? Like, not a ton of people. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, in Wesleyan growing up wasn't that big. So, there weren't a lot of college students around. So, to be with millions of people in one small area um, was a bit of a shock to the system. I bet. And then, yeah. So, but ministry, like, was rich. Um, we did so many different things. We did street evangelism. We worked in churches. I think the most memorable night of worship or ministry for us, for me personally, was we um this open air, which is basically like street evangelism. So with a group, we like when you go, you prepare skits, you prepare dramas, you know that you're going to have to give your testimony. You know that you're going to be asked to preach at some point. So this particular night, it was my night to share my testimony. And so I was also a part of this drama um, that we were doing called Beautiful. And so we did this drama on the porch of a Hindu temple. And so all of these 
like Hindu believers from this village started coming out to watch and share. And um, our translator's name was Deepak. And so Deepak and I were on the the Hindu porch, like the Hindu temple porch Mm -hmm. after this drama and like sharing my testimony and the Holy Spirit just being so evident. It was almost like you could see the Holy Spirit like moving through the crowd, like through the people and team members were praying with people. And I just remember that night for the first time feeling like not only was my testimony powerful, but like God could use like hard things. And I knew that night that I wanted to come back and lead other teams. I knew I wanted to be in ministry because I still was trying to figure out like what my future looked like. But that was a really powerful night for me to see the Holy Spirit move in such a real and tangible way. It's just neat to think that here's this little girl from Fairmount, Indiana, and she's in India, and people are responding to things that she dealt with way over here, and you had no idea that it's just neat how we can be used that way. So you went from India, you went back to base, and then I believe your next uh, endeavor was Cambodia. It was, yes. And was that, I don't believe that was with a full team, was I think that was a... It was a smaller team because that was uh, a specific backpacker. It was focused on outdoor ministry. So being in Montana, we pull a lot of outdoor wilderness people. So we focused on wilderness skills, backpacking trips in the wilderness, rock climbing, ropes courses. We focused more on that. And so we had a smaller school um, because those kinds of things are more expensive. So you can't have as many people. And I still have some of them pictures of the kids over there. I believe one of the little girls drew a picture and I still have that Mm -hmm. picture. It was just, I don't know, it was very neat. But that particular area, what was so particular about that area that you went to? What had happened there? Mm, So a few things. Cambodia as a whole, most people are familiar with well, or not familiar because it wasn't really spoken about, but the Khmer Rouge and genocide where anyone who was educated, who even looked educated, like if you wore glasses, you were killed um, because the government was trying to overpower and take over and they were successful. And so Cambodia in that regard really is a nation of young people. You don't see a lot of older Khmer people when you're there because most of them were killed by their government. And so where we went, we there's a YWAM base in Badambang, which is about four and a half hours northwest of Phnom Penh, which is the capital. Then we went an additional three hours north to a province called Preavihia, which is just south of Thailand. And um, it's there is ministry there, but it's one guy. And so we really felt as we prayed to go and encourage him and work with him and partner with him. And so this particular area still had active landmines. So we were only allowed in certain places at certain times um, because we didn't know where those would be found. But I think the highlight for me at that time was seeing how desperate the global church has to be on the same page of the gospel going forth and doing it together. Missions can't exist without the local church. 
-hmm. and the local church needs missionaries. And so for, for that kind of partnership to see this guy who'd been serving in Praia Vigia by himself for 15 years, and he just needed encouragement. He needed people to come and, and see what God was doing there. So now this, what year was this that you went to Cambodia? That was 2012. 12. And then you went back to base working yeah. DTS. And then Mr. Garrett shows up. He did. So am I on the it right timeline? Yeah. You are. And uh, then he was doing the regular studies while you were in DTS. Is that correct? No. So he, that was after we actually went to Brazil together for his outreach for his school. So you went to Brazil. That's where I was going to go next. So you guys went to Brazil together. And now was this your first time leading a team in Brazil? Me. You. No, this was my second team. Your second leadership opportunity. Mm -hmm. And then you and Garrett went to Brazil together and that was, what, where was that at in Brazil? We were in Rio. 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 Rio even made a video or some TV mm-hmm. deal down there, and he was on the beach. I was on, and the, uh-huh. I was on the national news twice in the two months we were there. <laughs> <laughs> now, there was an interesting story that I know I've, we're going to get into some interesting stories, but you went to Brazil as uh, co-leaders, correct? No, he was my student. You Okay, Garrett was your student then. Okay. And then from there you went to Haiti and Dominican Republic. Just Cassie. Yep. Just me. Just Cassie went that time. Yeah. That's when he was doing his Bible school in Montana. Okay. And so the school I eventually staffed that I talked about the school of biblical studies, I was uh, participating in that course as a student while Cassie was in Haiti and Dominican. Okay. um, Before I joined staff. Okay, and then you went from there, and now you're in Ukraine ministering together. And are you actually in Kiev or just outside of Kiev? And it's pronounced Kiev, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Well done. I'm learning. I'm learning. You could say Kiev, but that's the Russian pronunciation. Kiev is the Ukrainian pronunciation. Oh, okay. All right. That's why you hear it and see it spelled two different ways. Okay. And it's not the Ukraine, it's Ukraine. Ukraine. It was the Ukraine when we were under Soviet rule. Okay. So they've been pushed back. Putin and his masses have been pushed back. Well. Not in the South. Not Putin. That was in 91. So they're still connected to Russia in some way? No. Russia, (laughs) depending on how up-to-date you are with current events, Russia took a part of Ukraine and Mm -hmm. is currently still actively trying to take other parts of Ukraine. So we're actually in an active conflict zone, but it's in the East. We're in central Ukraine. Okay. So back to your, uh, missionary trips, we talked about what you was trying to do in India and in Cambodia. And what was your goal when you went to Brazil? To survive. (laughs) To woo Cassie. (laughs) <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, that was your that was your missionary trip. <laughs> okay. I know that you ran into a very interesting situation when you was in Brazil. Tell us about that. Cassie. Oh, 
which interesting situation. There were a few. I oh. am signaling to you what you're talking about. I'm thinking. I'm thinking about gun. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm thinking about the being protected by that drug dealer. What was your basic mission when you went to Brazil? Okay. All right. Well, our hope is always to bring the gospel, right? That's yes. Our, our hope as believers is that people would encounter the living God. And so you, we went to Brazil, but the difference with Brazil is Brazil's a Christian nation already. And so we went to evangelize, but we also went to encourage believers. And, you, and I was there to woo Cassie. And you were there to woo Cassie, and that <laughs> seemed you were missionary trip was a success. <laughs> yes, sir. Now you did run into an interesting situation when you were in Brazil. Tell us about that. So we, for part of our stay, we uh, lived in a favela or a slum in Rio de Janeiro. And what was unique about this slum is you have two types. Some slums are owned by the government and some are controlled by drug lords. And so we were actually staying in one controlled by a drug lord. And the reason we were allowed to even come in to the slum, because as you're entering it, you see guys with uh, AK-47s loaded, standing guard. Uh, so we always had to be with a Brazilian going in and out. Did you think you made a wrong turn and went down the wrong street? Yeah. Oh. Sometimes, <laughs> yeah. But we were able to come in because this drug lord had been a pastor in his past. And so now he was living this life as a drug lord, and he thought if he allowed missionaries to come into his slum, that God would um, bless him, or at least would hold back his wrath because of what he was doing as a drug lord. Very interesting. So he was protecting you then? Yep. Wow. He thought that would justify his spreading... Uh, drugs across the world hmm. right. but he had enough fear oh, yeah. of god that he had enough fear of god that he didn't let anybody mess with you Interesting. Oh, yeah. and you would walk through but not enough to change would, his life you hmm. would walk through this favela and there were like bible verses like painted on the walls like down these narrow walks and you're like what are we even doing here oh, like how did my. we get here <laughs> wow. and here's the thing about brazil Okay, I'm this Midwest boy, and it's around maybe 11 o'clock, and for me, that's late. But as we're heading back to the church we're staying at, you see the community setting up these huge speakers because they're, they're about to start partying. Brazil is such a warm culture. They start partying, and they go till three or four in the morning. Not even partying. Like, that's their social time. Sure, social uh -huh. time, yeah. Now, you guys ran into some interesting things also, or Cassie did, in Haiti, which uh, oh, yeah. caused a sickness and ran in. Tell us about that. Yeah. So um, the last DTS team that I led overseas um, was a big team because we had three leaders. I was training two new staff how to lead outreach. And so we had three leaders. We had 14 students which is a very big team for a DTS outreach. The plan was to spend a month in the Dominican and a month in Haiti. That's the way visas worked and it just worked out with the YWAM ministries that needed help. 
So we were in the Dominican for two weeks. We were going to be in Haiti for a month and then back to the Dominican for two weeks. So our first two weeks in the Dominican, um, we head into Haiti a little after New Year's and we drive. So you can drive because it's the same island. So we drive into Haiti and then keep driving another two and a half hours into a desert. Um, and like away from the coast. So we're going inland away from the coast. And that was it. Like the the van dropped us off and left. So there was 17, 17 people uh, who were not Haitian in this Haiti, in this Haitian village. And so um, the pastor we worked with was phenomenal. I've never seen a pastor love and shepherd their flock so well. Pastor Bo, he just loved his people so well. He moved his family out there. They didn't have money to build a home. So he and his wife and daughter lived in a tent in the middle of a desert in Haiti. Like he was just completely committed to the vision for this place. And um, so we were there and we were playing in the river with kids one day. And uh it's where they do their laundry. It's where they slaughter their animals to eat. It's where they wash their dishes. And so we didn't think anything of it, you know, water. And so we found out after half of our team came down with a mysterious illness that they had been pumping the river water into the water tank and we didn't know it. Oh so my. we had been introduced to dirty water. Um, so myself and five students um, ended up going to an emergency, wasn't even an emergency room. We were treated in a triage clinic uh, for a hospital in St. Mark, which is the capital. And um, sorry, St. Mark is not the capital, but that was the nearest village we were in. So we go and it's Western doctors that don't know how to treat tropical diseases. And so they spoke English, but they couldn't diagnose us because they didn't know what our symptoms were. And so get better, go back to the village. And then I get sick two days later and slowly like start to lose consciousness. So one of my guy co-leaders and we actually had, praise God, we had a former LPN on our team. So the three of us got in a truck and they drove me to the same hospital in St. Mark and they could not figure out what's wrong with me. So I was in and out of consciousness. I was losing weight really quickly. They couldn't figure out what was wrong. So they kept running tests. And after three days of that, they realized that I had amoebic dysentery and they didn't know how to treat it. And so they gave me some medicine, sent me back to the village. And then we realized at that point, like, we need to get the students who are sick out back to the Dominican where we can get healthcare and treatment that will actually like help because no one was getting better and we needed to protect our students and keep them from the ones who weren't sick from getting sick. So myself and a co-leader and then this, the students who had been sick got in a van and we drove back to the Dominican. And as soon as we crossed the Dominican border, I went unconscious again. And what had happened was the medicine that they gave me, one, I was allergic to, and two, they had given me so much medicine that it shut down my system mm. and like I, I couldn't keep consciousness. And so I got admitted to the hospital in the Dominican and spent four or five days there while they tried to get my system rebooted and back working again. And they 
didn't know at that point that I was allergic to the medicine that they had given me in Haiti. And so they were giving me the same medicine. And so the same thing just kept happening. Um, so eventually I got discharged and got to go back. I had dropped like 15 pounds and heck of a diet. Yeah. My kidneys were shot. My liver was shot. Um, once we got back to the state, so I stayed on outreach. I stayed on the field with my team until we got back. And then once we got back, I had to go have my kidneys and my liver checked every two weeks for six months. And then after that, every six months. Wow. So was the morning of our wedding. So we got married four months after this and the morning of our wedding, I woke up and had, was having a reaction to the antibiotics. I was still on and had a black tongue from my medicine. It's like, I can't get married like this, but it ended up going away and it was fine. But it took a while for my body to fully recover from dysentery. I remember and, that. That was scary times. Yeah. I'd just like to mention that during this time, I am back in Montana studying the Bible you know, as a student <laughs> in the school. And I get an email from Cassie. Hey, just letting you know I'm a little sick. You know, I respond, oh, sorry, hon, I feel better. Little did I know she was at death's door. Yeah. Yeah. She covered a lot of that over. We didn't get all that info either. So I didn't want people to worry. There's nothing anyone could have done. So I didn't want people to get, I just like to say our communication and marriage has gotten better. Well, <laughs> that's good. So was this, uh, was the water sabotaged from a, didn't you run into a, some voodoo over there or something? Yeah. Depending on beliefs. Some people think that, so the day before I got sick, I got sick on a Friday and that Thursday afternoon, I was like, why is no one preaching the gospel to the witch doctor? Like, I don't understand. There was a male witch doctor and a female witch doctor. And basically when we went to the hut of the male witch doctor, he was like, oh, and this is through translation. He basically says like, oh, look, I've seen Jesus. I know he's real but I can't tell people that because then I won't have enough money to feed my family. And so I'll, I'll confess that I believe in Jesus before I die because the way he was making money was through being a voodoo mm -hmm. priest, basically. Wow. So I preached the gospel anyways and was like, this is who Jesus is. He died on the cross. Like give your life to him. We have this. And then the next day is when I wake up sick. Hmm. Scary. So Garrett, I'm sure you have some funny stories or both of you have maybe some funny things that have happened along the way in your adventures. Oh boy. Or not. What? During our time <laughs> while I'm in marriage. <laughs> well, they're both adventures that no, in your, in your, <laughs> <laughs> in, could you repeat the question? Thank you. <laughs> you've had some, I'm sure you've, uh, is there any particular funny story that is that, uh, you remember on your missionary trips that you want to tell us? Oh boy. So I have one and mine is from Cambodia and, um, it's a two part story. The first part is I am petrified of giant rodents of the rat persuasion, um, terrifying. Don't know why, but I just think they're the scariest <laughs> things in the world. And so 
we're in, we're living in like this glorified treehouse in Cambodia in the village. And we get there and there's not enough beds, like the, the girls. So there were four girls, a married couple, and then six guys. So the four girls got a bed, the married couple got a room, and all the guys were sleeping on their mats downstairs on the first floor. But that left me as the only other single girl. And so I like set up shop in the living room upstairs. So I lay out my mat and I'm laying on the wooden floor and I hear this like, and I'm like, no, no, Jesus, why, why? So I turn my lantern on and there's this rat mouse just screen across. And I was like, Josh, which is the husband. And he comes out and he was like, I thought I only had to do this for Kara. Kara ended <laughs> up being my matron of honor in our wedding. So missions really bond people together. But so Josh comes out and scares the, the rodent away, but I didn't sleep a wink that night. So the next day, another girl and I get on our bicycle and we're pedaling through the Kamai village, two white girls on this bike to try and find a hammock for me to sleep in for the next six weeks. So here we are just loving our life, riding this bicycle. It's got like a seat on the back for groceries that I'm riding on. So we look <laughs> ridiculous. So we're going through the village and everyone just is like pointing and laughing at us as we go by, because that's what like the little school girls did. We're like, surely we can do it too. But we became well known for our bike shenanigans because it just got us to the market faster. <laughs> <laughs> So uh, you guys went back to base and then you felt a need to further your studies and you moved to Boston. Yeah. The idea was, hey, this is what we feel like God has called us to vocationally. So why don't we get further training so that we can be better equipped to help equip others? And uh, I got to tell you, the best story from that time for me was... Uh, Cassie and I are filling out our applications for Gordon Conwell and the application fee is a hundred dollars. So we both owe a hundred. Unfortunately, we didn't, we didn't even have $200 in our account. Long story short, the night before Cassie had made some clerical error and given away all our money. <laughs> so we didn't even have $200. Uh, so we prayed about it. Just ask God, like, hey, Lord, this is a situation. You know, we had this need. And this is on a Thursday night. Friday goes by. We don't tell anyone about this. And then Saturday morning, 7 a.m., somebody knocks on our door. And it was actually somebody visiting the base. It wasn't somebody who's uh, living there. This is the YWAM base. But she says, hey, I just felt like God wanted me to give you guys this. And it was a check for $200. Wow. And that right there, just we both just felt uh, our faith grow, but just affirmed in where we felt God was calling us. Yeah. Makes you want to fall on your face. Yeah, yeah Absolutely. It, did. it did. Absolutely. Yeah. You guys could tell us stories all day about how the Lord has supplied for you and yeah. opening your oh, door yeah. and there's money outside your door. You don't even know who left it. In a Ziploc bag. Yes. Tell us that yeah. story real fast. So when I got saved and came into missions, I had one friend who was a believer. And so when it came to raising support, I'd been working at a church in Kentucky, but I didn't have a ton of support. So I lived on $250 a month and 200 of that went towards my rent. So 
this month came and I was like, what am I going to do? I don't have rent. I was talking to my roommates. They were going to split it until I could find the money to help pay. And I wake up one morning and my roommate, Sarah was like, Cassie, come here. And I go out and someone had written like for Cassie and it was $200 cash in a Ziploc bag on the steps of our house. Like that is insane. And that wasn't the only time that happened. Things just showed up like that all the time. Just right when you need it to, not too yeah. early or too late. Just in the perfect moment. Just right and on that, time. That's the beauty of being poor missionaries. Is <laughs> you get to see God be faithful to his promises of providing for needs. Yeah. You know, not that he's going to make us rich, wealthy, but he's going to provide for those needs. Yeah. And we've seen that again and again. Yes, that's exciting. Thanks for listening in. We here at the Orange Mailbox would like to wish Cassie Speck a wonderful happy birthday today. Stay tuned for part two of Every Little Speck. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can also find us on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Just search for the Orange Mailbox and hit that subscribe button. Or go to our website at www.theorangemailbox.podbean.com and check out all of our episodes. We'd love to hear from you, so if you have any comments or show ideas, drop us an email at feedback at theorangemailbox.com. Thanks for tuning in, and remember, always go to the mailbox expecting.